beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Then the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under and under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let the let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights. The greater light is to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God, saw, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the water swarms, according to their kinds, and every winged bird, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living creature that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have food you have you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. 
And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Trump. Now, before half of you stand up and walk out, or the other half of you stand up and applaud, I'm not talking about a political candidate. I'm talking about the word Trump. And the word Trump, the meaning of that, listen to this from the the dictionary, means to outrank or defeat someone or something, often in a highly public way. It also means to get the better of, best or outdo, Trump. And when I think of Trump, I think of playing cards, all right? And in the game of Rook, does, does anyone know what Rook is? Some people do, some people don't, all right? So I'm not into, I have no idea how to play poker or any of that stuff, but I love to play Rook. And if you've ever played Rook, you know one thing, that you match up the, you match up the colors for what's going to be Trump. And then there's just one card, right? If you play Rook, there's this one card, and everyone wants to get it. And what is it? It's the Rook, right? Because if you get the Rook card, and you're playing Rook, and you're, you know that you're going to put this down on that hand, there is no doubt at all that you're going to win that hand. It's over. Everyone knows that. This is the ultimate trump. Now, when we think of that in our society, and we think of that as Christians, from what Pike just read for us, what we are being told is that science trumps Scripture. Now, from what scientists see, from what scientists believe, they think science trumps Scripture. But I'm here tonight to tell you that that's, it's not over. All right? Students who are learning about this stuff, it's not over. And tonight, I'm not going to give you a scientific lecture because the Bible is not a book of science. The Bible is God's word. And when the Bible crosses over science, it speaks the truth. Amen? Amen. And as we're looking at this tonight, we have to think of the exactness and the authority of Scripture when we think about creation. So our question tonight is, did God create and do we have knowledge of God? Scripture never questions the existence of God. Scripture implies it. It is a assumed 100% fact that God exists, that he is, and he always has been. 
that he's outside of time and space and that he is in control of every aspect of my life and yours. And as a Christian, that is where we have to view Genesis 1, where we have to view the creation. In Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis 1, it's focusing on God calling the universe into existence by speaking. They call this ex nihilo, or nihilo, sorry. I'm not very good with Latin, but um, it means out of nothing. He called it into existence out of nothing. And our question tonight is only a question because critics that are outside of the church are questioning what we believe. And that may be you here tonight. And I'm so glad that you are here. We can't scientifically answer all your questions, but what I can tell you about is faith. Faith in a God that created us and all the glory that we see that we're going to read about. If we look tonight at our, our scripture, if you can remember one thing, your, your sermon in a sentence, I want you to remember this. It's that divine glory is why physical glory exists. Divine glory is why physical glory exists. You see, in the scripture that Pike read for us, in those verses, those 30-some verses, the word Elohim, which is the strong God, is found 35 times. Now, that implies to us that that's pretty important. That this scripture is not just about science. It's not just about a poem. It's about him. And as we look at this, we have to think of his divine glory in all we look at. So if you are here and you have a problem with the creation story, if you have a problem with the creation narrative, if you believe anything other than what is in the scriptures, then you have a problem with God. And you have a problem with his authority. You see, the reason things were brought to be is to bring him glory. The weight of glory in our life needs to be evident daily. There's a, there's a Hebrew word, kabod, which means glory. And that word means weighty. One of the marks of our evangelicalism is that God is not weighty to us. In our society, God is not weighty. You know, we take it flippantly sometimes. We don't let it sink in. And when you think of something weighty, this Hebrew word, it means to displace something that's lesser. The heavier thing is going to displace the lesser thing. And if you think of filling a bathtub with water, and you fill it all the way to the brim... And then you get a bowling ball and you, you walk over and you throw the bowling ball in. What's going to inevitably happen? The bowling ball is going to move everything, take up residence, and everything will adjust to it. 
In the same way, when God moves in, when God creates, or when God moves into, let's say, your heart, he is the greater thing. And he wants to displace everything else. All the other stuff has to go. So it can be weighty on you. Do we have knowledge of God? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1. We're going to start in verse 19. Now, when you listen to an apologetic sermon, you have to think of the fact that there's a text of Scripture that's being questioned. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the 30,000 feet view and look at the entirety of Scripture and what it says about what the Scripture that we've read tonight is. So in Romans chapter 1, Let's begin reading in verse 19. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since, listen to this, the creation of the world, in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse that they means us and everyone else. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God and give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That sounds kind of like what's going on in our society, doesn't it? Divine glories are why physical glories that we see exist. We see it everywhere, don't we? If someone says, I'm just going to go find myself and I'm going to go find God. They normally say, well, I think I'm just going to go. I'm going to go to New York City and I'm going to sit in the middle of Times Square and all the busyness. And all the skyscrapers and the noise and I'm just going to see God. No, they don't do that, do they? What do they do? They say, I'm going to go to the mountains. Or I'm going to go to the coast. Or I'm going to go be by myself. And I'm going to go, what? Get alone with God. Why? Because if you go to the city and you look at all the things and the glories that man makes, it's not weighty on you. But if you look at the things that God makes, it touches your heart, doesn't it? You feel something. It's that weight and glory. And you know what? That's supposed to drive us to him all the time. Bringing him glory in our life. Bringing him glory in whatever we do. So if we know Genesis 1 is all about that, why don't we get it? Well, because we're all glory hogs, aren't we? Every one of us, we love our own glory and we love praise and we love recognition. And sometimes that gets the best of us. But we have to turn our eyes and our heart and our mind toward God and his creation and his glory to understand Genesis 1 here. We think we know better than God. But you know what? Henry Morris, who did an excellent commentary on Genesis chapters 1 through 11, I'd encourage you to read it. He says this about Genesis 1. He says the only proper way to interpret Genesis 1 is not to interpret it at all. That is, we accept the fact 
that it was meant to say exactly what it says. And see at Grace, we believe the Bible. And our first value is Bible-centered preaching and teaching. And if you are here and there are some of the ideas floating around in your head, I hope that you can see the authority of God's word tonight. So there's four things that we're going to see here from the scripture tonight. The first thing is this, is that God's word are how creation was formed and filled. God's word is how creation is formed and filled. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to uh, a pottery or, or, or some kind of art school, but we took Kylie a couple of months ago to Penland School. And I don't know if you guys know what that is, but they make crafts and different kinds of arts. And she got on the pottery wheel and she started out with this huge like lump of clay as a five-year-old. And they took time with her and she was able to move it around and, and kind of fashion it to what she wanted it to be, which at the end, it was her creation. It started out as this nothing. It was just a blob of, of, um, of clay that needed to be molded. And as she did that, her creation was brought out. And God, in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that the earth is formless and void. And God takes that and he starts to, to mold it the way that he wants it. He starts out with, with the things that are a little bit less detailed. And then by the time we get to day six, when he's making man, we see he's getting very detailed in what he's doing. He's forming and filling. I want you to glance with me, if you would, at just at verses, at the beginning of verses three and verses six, verses nine and 14 and 20 and 24. And all those begin this way. And God said, verse three says, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be an expanse. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And then in verse 26, we see it says, then God said, let us make man. You see, when God, the creator speaks things into existence, it's clear, it's powerful and it's direct. It happens like that. And as we look at these verses, it's a declaration. And if you ask a, if you ask a scientist, when they look at how things come into existence in a certain area, they will tell you that they come into existence all at once and fully formed. All at once and fully formed. Just like God created this. And as our God is creating, he's forming the galaxy. He's putting his glory on display. And so it's, it's day one we see that he speaks time and, and space and light into existence. We see in verse two the spirit is, of God is, is hovering there. And that word in the Hebrew just means it's, it's the same word you would use for a mother hen that's just hovering over her chicks. Isn't that amazing? Because there's life that's going to come out of that. And God knows that there's life that's going to come out 
of his creation, of what he's making. On day two, he separates the waters from the waters, and and, and it kind of creates a water canopy. If you read this, it says he's separating the waters from the waters, and he's making an expanse between them. You see, in God's perfect pre-fallen world, with this water canopy, you know what would happen? It would be lush vegetation everywhere, which we read about in Eden, right? There would be a longer lifespan for human beings, which we read about before the flood. There would be temperatures that are basically Hawaii everywhere all the time. That sounds pretty good, right? But you know what it would also do? It would also give a large water canopy for a massive flood, like we read about six chapters later. You see, God is using this, and we know he's preparing here. On day three, he makes dry land and plants, and day four, he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day five, creatures of the sea and flying creatures, and day six, he makes land animals and humans. Professor Richard Goldsmith, he's a, sorry, he is a professor at the University of California at Berkeley said, it is impossible for complex organs to form on their own, even with millions of years. Goldsmith says, to suppose that such a random event could reconstruct even a single complex organ, like even a liver or a kidney, is as reasonable as supposing that an improved watch can be made by throwing the old one against the wall. Now, when we think of creation, when we think of how this happened, we have to go with what Scripture says. So what, what are the, some of the prevailing criticisms of this? Well, of course, there's the argument against Genesis 1. There's the theory of evolution that's popularized by Charles Darwin. This is the thought that... Um, all life originated from a single cell of DNA that was randomly by chance made from a cosmic event, such as a meteor hitting the earth and making contact with earth's surface and life started. And here we are, right? As you move from one kind to the other, that is what he believes. And you know what? That is what many of you students will face whenever you go to college. If you walk into, especially, a major university. I remember I walked into a stadium classroom my first day at college, probably of about a thousand people of biology. And the professor explicitly explained, if you are going to argue with me about the Bible, you can drop this class now. And you know what? A couple of people walked out. But I didn't because I didn't feel like, you know what? I can even argue this. And what I want for you is if your coworker, if your classmate, if your friend, if your family comes to you, that you'll be a little more equipped to explain this to them. There's also micro and macro evolution. Macroevolution is 
what Darwin explains, microevolution is a small scale of variation that actually happens between kinds. Something like a wolf. That would be a dog. That would be a chihuahua. All with the same DNA already built in that's not changing from one kind to the other. An example of that would be all of us here, leave, we, we live kind of regionally, right? We're used to the atmosphere. But what happens to you and I if we go to, say, the Himalayas? Well, for a little while, like, we're going to have a hard time breathing, aren't we? The air is pretty thin. But if you live there, let's say five years, your body will adjust, right? Now, you did not change from one kind to the other. The wolf that, that would uh, have microevolution to go to be a dog did not become a cat, right? They would never become a cat, okay? Dog would never become a cat. The kinds do not change. As God has explained here through his word in day six, he made them each to their own kind. And that's the way that it stayed. There's also the gap or ruin reconstruction theory, which some Christians believe. And this is the way that you would read Genesis one. If you believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Stop. And there's creation and there's millions of years and there's sin and there's a flood. And that's where all of our fossil record comes from. It's what a gap theorist would believe. And then God goes, okay, let's hit the reset button. Now we'll read Genesis one, two, the earth was without form and void and the darkness was over the face of the deep. That's what you would believe if you believed in the gap theory, that there's a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. But there's also the, fa- the framework theory, and that would go something like this, that Genesis 1 is just a, liter- a literary framework by means of which the work of creation is described, and it is merely a device to give rather general ideas about the origin of the world without any way of giving us a time in which God's creation was done, in what order God created, or how he created, or in the manner that he created. Well-known and acclaimed atheist Richard Dawkins made this statement about our world. He said, it's cold and harsh and unloving, but so what? Well, that's kind of a big so what, isn't it? It's kind of like saying, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you like the play? Right? Like, that's a big so what? Some of you might get that on the drive home. But, but if you live in a dark, cold world and that's all that you think of, your hope is pretty bad, right? Like how can you think tomorrow is going to be better? What do you have to look forward to? But as Christians, we have hope. And we see a creator who intentionally and purposely made creation the way he did, when he did, at the time he did, exactly how his word says. See, when we think of God speaking something and it instantly happening, 
Some people might be like, well, I, just, I don't know about that. I mean, I kind of, I believe science. I, I, I think I'm a smart person. You're trying to tell me that he said this and something happened? Well, do me a favor and go with me to John chapter 4. This is a Bible drill night, all right? We're going to be going to lots of different places. John 4, beginning in verse 46, talking about Jesus here. And it says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That sounds like some of the people in our world, right? I need tangible evidence. I need to see it. But watch what happens. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed, believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus has said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. These two cities are 17 miles away. And at the exact time Jesus speaks that, if we believe in the authority of God's word, it says it happened. Right then, as that is. That's not a chance, right? If you're an evolutionist, you might say, there's no way that that happened. But scripture tells us, and as followers of Christ, as we value scripture, we have an intentional design for eternity in our hearts. And God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you being here tonight. God has a purpose for Grace Community Church, for your family, for your work life. It's purposeful. And he wants to work through you so other people can see his glories. As we read about God Speaking all things into existence, he makes the dry land. And I want you to notice something. It says he makes light on day one. But if you read it, he makes the sun on day four. Does that make any sense at all? Now, if you're an evolutionist, you would say, no way. See, science trumps scripture. But what does it say in Revelation 21? Let's read Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23. It says, speaking of the new heaven and the new earth. It says, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. You see, your Creator God is the light of the world. And its first step in taking chaos to order is to show He is the light. 
And isn't it interesting how really the very first thing that happens, he is the light, is the very last thing we read. He is the light and the authority. We've already seen that he had a plan for you before the foundations of the world. He's outside of time and space. So why are you here for him? Why are you at your job for him? Why does that kid sit beside you in class for him? And when we seek our own glory, we feel miserably and we make a mess of it, right? When we think we know better than God and we can do what we want. Just ask Tiger Woods or Johnny Menzel, right? We can do what we want with no consequences and it's all about me. We were made for him. Not only did he use his words to form and fill, but he did that in six 24-hour days. Now, when you hear the word day, I know the first thought in your head, a millennia, right? No, you think of 24 hours. You think of getting up, going to work, coming home, eating supper, spending time with your family, and going to sleep. That's a day, all right? And when Moses wrote this, that's what he was portraying, is a 24-hour day. Now, some of you in here might say, well, in Psalms, it says things like the day of your gladness, which is an indeterminate amount of time, right? But that's a different literary style. What he is speaking about here is always and only 24 hours. Do you know why? Because the Hebrew word yom is used in the Old Testament with a number attached to it 410 times. And you know what? It always means a 24-hour day. That same word is used whenever it's used with evening and morning, which is 38 times. And it always means a 24-hour day. When it's used with evening and morning, that's 23 times. It's always a 24-hour day. That's why only and always. See, a scientist or an evolutionist would also see that and say, no, science trumps scripture. But when we think about what God says, we take that pretty weighty, or we should. And in Exodus 31, as the law was being given, in Exodus 31, verses 15 through 17, it says this. Talking about the Sabbath, it says, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is Sabbath of seldom rest. Holy is the Lord. Whoever does my work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign between a sign forever, excuse me, between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. You see, as we look at that, God says, I made it in six days. And then he also reinforces it later. Not only does it tell us that God's words formed and filled, and he did it in a literal 24 hour day, but it also tells us that Christ is present and participating in this. 
Let's read in John chapter 1. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 1, and we'll just start reading at the beginning of John's gospel. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, When we think about Genesis 1, we can't just zero in and not look at anything else. We have to look at the total historical redemptive picture of history, right? If you've ever went through the book, the story, or you've taken that class, the first thing in there is creation, right? And then there's the fall, and then there's rescue, and then there's restoration, and that is the story of scripture. And we have to look at that. And what we see here is that Christ is present and he is participating. Just as we see in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. See, we have to look at scripture as a whole. We can't look at just one part. We can't stop halfway through, can we? What if you stopped halfway through with the movies you watch? That would be pretty bad, wouldn't it? I mean, if you stop halfway through with the movies that you watched in the Martian, Matt Damon would still be on Mars, right? Like he would still, he'd just be hanging out on Mars, right? If you're a kid here and if you stop halfway through Frozen, everything would still be frozen, right? Everything would still be frozen. When we look at Scripture, we have to look at Him as Christ, not just as Creator, but also as Redeemer. See, before you can know Him as your Savior, you have to acknowledge Him as the Creator. You have to acknowledge Him as Creator. You know, I heard a story recently of an incident at an office where a mom was speaking about her child, her young child, not school age. And as she was speaking about this child, she made the statement out loud in front of the child to another person. Well, he's my mistake. And... 
To me, that breaks my heart. Because when we think about Christ being our creator and redeemer, I want you to listen to what Ephesians 1 says. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, we're talking before Genesis 1 verse 1, right? And he has a plan for you. You're not an accident. He has a purpose for you. And he knew that before in the beginning. And the last thing I want you to know tonight is this. That the joy of the creature is incomplete apart from the glorification of the creator. You know, on the Apollo 8 mission, it was Christmas Eve 1968, and they were coming around for what's called lunar sunrise. And it was going to be televised nationally. And there's three astronauts that's orbiting the moon, and as they come around, this is the most watched event in history up until that time. And as they do that, and they see the earth from a perspective that no one else has ever seen it, as they see the physical glory that God is putting on display so we can see him, do you know what they do? They don't question it. They don't run and and talk about evolution on the air. They read Genesis 1, 1 through 10. Why? Because what they saw that no atheist at that time had ever seen was a big picture of God's glory. And just as in Scripture we see people who try to take God's glory, we do that too, don't we? Whether it's boasting, whether it's a flat-out lie, whether it is building ourselves up, running to other people, there is a head-on collision happening. Science tells you this. Science trumps Scripture. But you know what? This head-on collision has a trump card. The science and the scripture, the, the evolutionist and the creationist. And that trump card is this, that when Satan comes to you and he's coming to you and he's telling you about past sin and he's telling you about the things that you've done, he's discouraging you and dragging you down. You're broken, you're hurting, Do you know what he does for you, Christian? Jesus walks over and he goes, no, I got that. That's under me. All that stuff that you repented of that he brings up to you, that's under me. See, he made you with a purpose. And he has a plan for you. And as we walk out these doors tonight, I want us to think about the weight of God's glory and how that looks in our everyday life. Because 
If we're in here and, are, and we are believers, God's got us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for tonight. And Lord, we know that there's so many questions about this text. There are so many things that we have questions about God. But the one thing that we don't question is that you are our creator, God. That you have a plan for us, Lord. That you have a purpose for our work, for our waking up, for all the things that we do. God, help the weight of your glory to be on each person here as we leave, as we go to work, as we go to school. Help us to live that out, to lift you up, to glorify you, our creator. Thank you for all you do for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.